Today's episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. If you're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player, Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show where I interview lots of great guitar players, started doing some gear reviews and over the last couple of years I'm joined by my friends Rob Rhodes. Hey, hey. And Gabor Jessica. Hey, ho. And we present the Iconic series. We started off talking about Iconic albums, guitar records we really loved. Today's episode, we're talking about Iconic Tone. Premise for this episode, we've, each of us, the three of us, we've chosen two guitarists each with a couple of key tracks for each. We're going to talk about their tones, pretty much. Um, There's a couple of honourable mentions as well. We've got some listener uh, feedback as well through the Instagram. So I'll read out some of your suggestions, which there were some excellent ones. Um, Have you guys seen the Instagram list, gentlemen? No, I was following that thread, but um, I haven't seen it recently, so I'll, I, I wanted to be surprised, actually. Yeah, cool. Cool. Well, let's... I reckon, what if we just do one artist each? We'll just sort of go back and forth. Gabor, oh. do, do you want to kick us off with your first one? My first one? Okay. Uh, I've been waiting to, to uh, uh, talk about him in one of these episodes, and I think, to me, uh, when you hear him play... Um, you definitely know it's him. So I chose uh, Frank Zappa, the one, the only Frank yes. Zappa. So to me, um, pretty much everything about Frank Zappa is iconic, not necessarily just his guitar tone, but pretty oh, yeah. much everything about him. If you haven't listened to Frank Zappa, go and listen to Frank Zappa. He's he's uh, unique is, is probably the, the best word. There's no one else like Frank Zappa out there. Um, a lot of humour... Uh, a lot of very weird and quirky stuff. Amazing bands. I mean, the players in his bands are absolutely second to none. He's one of those guys who also found a lot of players that are now some of the world's best players that he sort of found. You know, from the Vinnie Caliutas to the um, Mike Keneally's to the Steve Vai's, you know, he, he was one of those guys. But I think sometimes almost a little bit overlooked is his guitar playing which is so out there and so different and so unique from the way he holds the pick and actually plays guitar if you ever watch live videos of his just watch his right hand what he does and it's just such an odd way of playing um but as soon as he plays you can just always tell it's him so um the, the three tracks I chose uh, just great songs in general with some great lyrics, fantastic lyrics I chose Montana <laughs> uh, Willie the Pimp and Muffin Man <laughs> so just the titles <laughs> it says it all but um, uh, 
If you get a chance to listen to any of those songs live, there are tons of live recordings. Check out the live recordings because that's when it's sort of really, you can really hear what the band does and what he does. But to, to sort of what makes Frank Zappa his guitar sound iconic. So there's a couple of things that are very repetitive that you always kind of hear when he plays solos. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always some sort of modulation going on. Uh, he, he, whether it is an envelope controlled modulation or just straight modulation, there's always modulation and almost always some sort of a cocktail kind of sound, um, which he used just to cut through the band. Cause very often he had, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve piece bands with him yeah, on stage. Yeah. So I think to cut through the mix is the more, you know, if you have horn sections and marimbas and whatnot on stage, it gets harder and harder. So he often had a wire and he found a frequency that worked. Um, to make him sort of cut through. So it's one of those things, if you listen, especially live, if you listen to a lot of his his playing, his style and his tone are sort of instantly recognisable to me. So Frank Zappa, any do we have any Frank Zappa fans amongst us here other than myself? Hand, hands up if you're a Frank Zappa fan. Oh, there's no hands going up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm doing that thing where you rock your hand back, back and forth. on the verge. On the verge. Well, well, let's, start, let's start with Matt then. Matt was on the verge, so let's start with Matt then. Well, it, it's not. It's not that I'm not so much into him. It's that um, I just don't. I don't know a lot of the stuff. It feels like a super deep dive. So when I went, um, I've mentioned this before. At, when I was at university doing my music degree, I did start listening to heaps of stuff and just names. I think I should know more about these these musicians or composers and Zappa was one of them one of the more contemporary ones so the first Zappa album I really paid attention to was Hot Rats which Hot which you mentioned yeah. here such Willie a great Pimp, record yeah. yeah so yeah that was sort of my entry into into Zappa and it's funny because I'd heard a lot of Steve Vai before Zappa it's this really interesting um backwards kind of history thing where you where I heard Steve Vai. Then when I heard Hot Rats, I'm going, okay, this sort of makes sense. This is where Vai's getting some, of, some, not all, but some of his cues from, which yeah. is really interesting. And it's it's interesting actually. A lot of interviews you you hear with with Vai when he talks about the Zappa days, you can see how much of an influence Zappa was on him. Yeah, and where yeah. where he sort of took Vai. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. It's funny, Zappa would refer to Vi as like his stunt guitarist, like doing all this impossible stuff. But you hear Zappa on these tracks you mentioned, and he's just, he is throwing down big time. Like, does he need a stunt guitarist? Really? Like, far out. And he's had some amazing guitar players play with him. I mean, his bands, I mean, just just for example, on on some of these, like, like, uh, if you listen to some of his live, I mean, the amount of people have played with him is absolutely insane but i mean uh um guy from guys like like i said um um Kenny, uh, uh mike keneally steve mike Vai, keneally. Uh, yeah. uh virgil uh, not virgil donati um um vinnie caliuta um yeah. um you know just to name a few george adrian blue adrian i mean the amount of players that played with him actually uh that sort of almost ties in a little bit with someone else's iconic tones. Uh, Chester Thompson, drummer, who also played with Santana, um, uh-huh. you know, yeah. uh, uh, Ruth Underwood uh, or the Underwood, um, the Underwoods in general. There's a couple of Underwoods in his band. Uh, amazing. Terry Bozio. Terry Bozio. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tony I mean, Levin. 
it's it's yeah the, the the people that that and he sort of found a lot of those guys and there's actually a really yes. really good interview with with Steve Vai and I think it's actually uh an interview about his carbon amp originally that his legacy carbon okay. legacy amp but they talked to him about Zappa and he was talking quite in depth about his um his uh, auditioning uh, his audition when he went and auditioned for Zappa and how he made him play. I think originally he did a lot of transcribing for Zappa. He transcribed a lot of stuff for Zappa. Um, but then, you know, and he said, you know, play this, play this. And he gave him a piece. And then he said, okay, now play this in 6-8. Okay, now play this in, in I don't know, 9-8 with a triplet feel, you know. And then, and okay, now play this in 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 eleven eight but with a reggae feel <laughs> you know, it's yeah, all this sort of stuff. it was like a, a the interview stories thing. are legendary the, the audition it's just stories. amazing the stuff that and he sort of you know to the point where it just got impossible to do what um what you know basically can't it's physically impossible to play and then zappa oh. would just go well you got a bit of practicing to do but see you next week or something like that you know (laughs) and walked off um it's just amazing but um okay so 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 rob you're not you're not in on the zappa bandwagon no i've never gotten into it like we've obviously all just got so much bandwidth for things right yeah yeah Um, yeah. but but one thing i will say is that a couple of times i did uh like crewing for sydney band petulant frenzy Oh. Which is uh, my good friend and former guitar tech Les Rankin's band. Yeah, Les, and like that was phenomenal. Like to be in the middle of those guys playing those songs. Like I didn't know a single song, <laughs> right? But I was so entertained, and I had such a good time that to see musicians do that live was awe inspiring. Did I go and then? go and become a Frank Zappa fan? No. No, yeah. Like, I don't think I even have ever, until today, haven't listened to any Frank Zappa. Oh, um, you're missing out. Well, not till today, till I had to research this podcast yeah. three weeks in a row. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> stab, Sorry. stab. It's a stab, different, stab. Diff- for different reasons, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I like, yeah. He's I an acquired taste. He's a very yeah. acquired taste. But yeah. listen to these tracks. I understand why he is as revered, particularly by musicians, as he is. Um, but it's just, it's not, yeah, I don't have it in my bandwidth to to get into it. Like the... You need listening to stuff. it though, honestly, yeah. listening to it, one of my favorite albums is Prince's Rainbow Children, which I have mentioned on yeah. this podcast before. Yeah. Listening to Frank Zappa, I hear where the influence for Rainbow Children came from. Yeah. Like I really hear that now listening to some of these songs, you know, the, the, the and a lot of um, similarities between Prince actually and, and Zappa in 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 uh, in in terms of that sort of kind of genius on the verge of kind of insanity kind of level and all these musicians that are just top notch musicians that really want to play with this these guys mm. but then get treated really quite badly or not badly but really quite hard band leaders because prince wasn't the 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 nicest yeah. guy to be around and very demanding on his band and so was zappa as well um so, yeah, anyway, sorry to interrupt. But, but yeah, I, I thought it was a strange choice because 
when I think of Frank Zappa, I think of Vi, Keneally, Baloo, like all of these guitar players who are like iconic and I couldn't tell you like what Frank Zappa sounds like because all I immediately think of is, well, if he's using all these guitar players, obviously when I listen to the record, I'm going to hear Steve Vai and I'm going to hear all of these people. Um, So I don't know who's playing what on the records, but for you to say, you know, oh, this is what he did and this is how you could do it is like, it's good. It's educational for me. I like to, you know, learn this stuff. Something new, yeah. Um, But Willie the Pimp, like it was really that Hendrix thing. I could hear him challenge, like channeling that quite a bit. And it was more straight ahead song. Well, it's earlier earlier days too. That was that yeah. was um, that was uh, late late sixty, early seventies, late something like that. It was. Yeah, it was right. But what on. I find, what I do find iconic is he has an iconic composition style. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. like, there is only one Frank Zappa, right? There's, yeah. um I'm sure there's been people who tried to copy it. Um, over the years, but haven't quite hit nah. the mark. But nah. um, yeah, that's sort of where I'm at with Zappa, and I know I'm upsetting a lot of my musician <laughs> friends who are massive Zappa fans. Um, but yeah, if you are a Zappa fan, go check out Petulant Frenzy because that is just a great, great night to be a part of, and it's a good introduction to Zappa if you're not the biggest fan. Mm, and- cool. And also, actually, check out the. I have it on DVD, but I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. The the, the original first tour that Zappa Play Zappa did uh, okay. with Steve yeah. Vai and um, what is it, Napo- Napoleon um, Brock or whatever his name is, the uh, singer and guitar, another guitar player. The band is insane. And they do a lot of songs because um, Zappa back in the days, he used to multi track record pretty much all his life. Life gigs. Okay. Uh, he was really into sort of early on into a lot of technology that that is now sort of taken for granted. He was kind of into <clears throat> into that back in the days. I think actually uh, another iconic album we talked about, um, um, uh, uh, Deep Purple's album with um, Smoke on the Water on it. They used Frank Zappa's um, live recording mobile rig, mobile recording, recording rig, rig. Yeah. yeah to record that album. So he had this mobile recording rig that that drove around with him at the time, I mean in the 70s and and unheard of basically to multi-track record pretty much all his live gigs. Yeah. And he also filmed a lot of them. So there's a lot of video footage and what I'm getting at in that Zappa play Zappa um they took um live footage of of Frank singing and guitar mm. playing. They took the multi-tracks of him singing and guitar playing mapped it out to a tempo guide to click track the drummer plays along to that click track to a live band basically but live performance so it goes in and out of time a little bit but i guess that amazing drummers that played with zappa so it was probably pretty close yeah and then the band live on stage plays a song and then on the screen i went to that show i went i saw it um because it in those days i worked for carve in australia and we supplied Steve Vai with his amps. So we actually okay. went there and supplied him with his amplifiers and stuff and got to go backstage and all that stuff, which was cool. But um, that tour, so you have the footage of Frank Zappa live on stage. So the band is playing live on the stage. There's a screen, big screen with Frank Zappa singing and then doing a guitar solo over the band playing along uh, live on stage, which is just – and the, the caliber of musicians is just insane. That is cool. Um, 
Yeah. That's really and all really young dudes. He wanted to find a band for Zappa Play Zappa, all really young guys that aren't famous guys who were all massive Zappa heads just to get into it, uh, to, to sort of play the music. And sort of it's not about – and then he did have guests, guests like Steve Vai and all those guys. Terry Bozio played it as well and stuff like that. And, but it was more about celebrating the music. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I got to um, interview Dweezil Zappa. Um, yeah, I, I listened to that long, yeah. long time ago. But that was awesome, and I think really moving how he how he really wanted to do his dad's music and do it really, really well. It's it's pretty cool. Cool, thank you, thanks, good Frank Zappa. Very cool. We haven't talked about Frank Zappa on no, the show, that's why, and really. that's why I chose him as well because I thought so, we haven't talked about him before. Yeah, cool. All right, Rob, who's your first guitar player? Okay, on that theme, I wanted to choose. Two guitar players we hadn't really talked about either because, you know, start to sound a bit one-dimensional um, because there's so many iconic guitar players that we've already talked about. Yeah, so yeah. Um, my first one, I don't think – arguably is there anyone more iconic sounding than Brian May. Yeah. Like the yeah, guy awesome. is just – like he just there's no other way to describe it. It's just yeah. – it's Brian May. You hear a guitar, you go, Brian May. There's no like dissecting anything. Yeah. It's just Brian May. Yes. So yep, yep. with the use of a sixpence as a pick, the homemade red special, a treble booster, and Vox AC thirties, up to twelve he yes. was using at once in the seventies. <laughs> How loud um, would that stage be? Oh my god. Like <laughs> insane. Like I think the edge is trying to beat him, but yeah. oh, probably... I don't think he's gonna get there. No. Two MXR DDL two delays. Um, go check out this, his old Starlex video is on YouTube and he shows that he sets one of the delays to 900 milliseconds and the other one to 1800 milliseconds, okay. which is how he gets that, um, the harmonized live. Yeah. Cause he said in the studio, he was just layering, getting yeah. it. Like, how can yeah. I do them live? And he worked out when he set the two delays, um, he went away, but, um, Italian Gen Crybaby, Echoplex, Fox Phaser, and the Curly Cable. The which Curly Cable. We promised he's going to make an appearance <laughs> in an upcoming episode. There it is, Curly Cable. Yes. Got to have the Curly Cable. So now he uses a TC Electronic G Major for his chorus and delay sounds. But okay. yeah, back in the day, the MXR. The two tracks I picked were Killer Queen was the first one. I think I, apart from it being a beautiful tune... Um, with a great groove, lovely lead and harmonized vocals. The guitar builds slowly through that track mm. um, with just single lines, tastily inserted, and then the solo hits in all its glory. Just starting off with that playful, classical, Blackmore-esque delivery, though um, then it just becomes this lush oral landscape. Um, with notes that cascading thing he does, yeah, notes yeah. just fall into one another. And is there a more perfectly composed solo than in that song? And then there's the cat noises with the wah wah and the pitch bends. <laughs> yeah, add the flanging in the outro and panning guitars, and it doesn't. I, I'm I'm resting my case, Your Honor. That's the most iconic guitar sound ever. Oh, oh Brian May, I mean, Queen <laughs> Hard generally. To Queen, Queen, I think you can. Just about any song of theirs, you can listen to two seconds of it and you know it's Queen. I mean, yeah. it, it, it it's yeah. one of those bands that's just absolutely in, instantly recognizable band. 
Yeah, yeah just that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I mean, uh, uh, it, it is, it is uh, I mean, one of the most iconic singers of all times and one of the most iconic guitar players of all times who literally if he strums an A chord, you know it's him. Yeah. yeah. You know, and there aren't many other guitar players who would if you strum an A chord you could go no that's definitely Brian May because it it, it the, he ha- just has that certain sound that's just it's no one else sounds like that mm. yeah Matt um yeah there's so much to love about Brian May Killer Queen um it is it is perfect a couple of things struck me like these songs are a lot of Queen stuff they're unusual arrangements yeah and yet these were massive radio hits like. I mean, we talk about the radio a lot, and it's it's so less relevant now. But that's how we found music back in the day, seventies, yeah. eighties, yeah. when when I got a radio cassette player. That that's how I heard a new band. Um, so that was really interesting. I love in Killer Queen how he EQs the guitars differently. Sometimes the harmonies, there's a little cluster of guitars, and they're EQ'd like this really boxy kind of way. Well, that's Still the other phase thing, isn't it? He does it with the other phase. Yeah, right. A lot yes. of that. Yeah. That's the probably it. Switches, yeah. And then sometimes he's at that fatter kind of tone. It's still him, of course, but yeah. it's like he's orchestrating these different timbres. Yeah. It's it's ingenious. Killer Queen's got one wah-wah lick, and we all know it. You know, it's like <laughs> it's at the end of the main solo. It's that call and yeah. response. He only yeah. does it once. It's perfect. Yeah. And um, Rob, I like that you chose Hammer to Fall as well because sometimes Brian May – He's a bit like the horn player in the band. He's just doing all this beautiful single note stuff or, you know, the harmonized stuff. But Hammer to Fall, we're hearing a lot of power chords and lots yeah. of chordal well, play. Well, I chose, yeah, I odd, chose odd, Hammer to Fall. More track, yeah. Yeah, I chose Hammer to Fall because just in my opinion, it's the best showcase of his, like, mammothly huge rhythm tone. Like, because, you know, you could go, oh, I can hear the iconic tone in someone's lead playing yeah, or yeah. whatever um, as far as that goes or their style. But as you said, when he hits an A chord, like you could be completely isolated track and you take out one A chord, yeah. but that's the attack. You hear it. You hear that is Brian. Um, a million musicians have struck an A chord, but none sound like no, that. That's yeah. what I mean. That's um, yeah. yeah. And then that picked clean chorus guitar right before the solo section is just so beautiful. Yeah, it's cool. And the solo isn't, I wouldn't say the solo is in the same league as Killer Queen, but I picked it to demonstrate the light and shade that he has in his playing. Um, The attack blended with subtlety that is so Brian because, you know, he's so softly spoken. You know, yeah. when you hear him talk, he's quite intellectual and he's, he's his Instagram is great. He says. His but then he just like bang, <laughs> you just go. Yeah. Um, and it's got to be the edge of that sixpence where he gets the attack. Um, yes. Like, you know, just dragging nails down a chalkboard territory at some times, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's that, it's that A chord. And even in the outro, uh, just, yeah, Hammer to Fall is one of, one of my favourites from because, probably because the first two Queen records I own was Greatest Hits Volume 1 uh-huh. and Greatest Hits Volume 2. <laughs> and I would always go, you know, you'd listen to all of one and almost all of two, you'd skip a few um, on two. But 
you know, you'd get to Hammer to Fall and One Vision and Show Must Go On, which I think might be the last, towards the last three or four tracks on that Greatest Hits Volume 2. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you couldn't wait to get there, you know, because you got through so many great songs mm. early on. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I love Hammer to Fall just for that sheer power chordness, yeah. you know, the ACDC almost, you know, in that iconic nature of it. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, great choice, man. Hard to hard to dispute. But I mean talking about talking about odd arrangements and stuff. I mean, uh uh if you listen I mean a song like as as huge and as famous as Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. How I mean if you really listen to it, how odd of a sort of a song is it? I know. It's so uh, odd. But then you have and I mean how you pro, I don't know, yeah, I'm sure you've seen it that footage of I think it's before a Green Day concert in in London, and there's like eighty thousand people there, and Bohemian Rhapsody plays, and a whole crowd sings all the words and sings the guitar solo along. Yeah, I mean, how many yeah. other? And it's such an odd song. It's uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, but you know, Wayne's World kicked it. Oh, absolutely, gave it a kick. Yeah. But like, where it's obviously popped up somewhere in recent times. I. You know, I don't know what the cultural significance of it is now. Like, you know, obviously Master of Puppets had got a kick on from Stranger Things. Yeah. yeah. But where, how does how does it keep enduring? Is it on like one of those Sing Star PlayStation games? Like, it's got to be somewhere in um, the cultural. Yeah. Because kids you know, know this stuff. Yeah. Teenagers, teenagers know this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, no, no. I, 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 if if you wouldn't have chosen them, I would have definitely chosen them too. That's, I mean, it doesn't get much more iconic in he terms of tone than very obvious. Yeah, than Brian May. Have you guys played with a coin? Sixpence, five cent piece, twenty cent. I think I've tried no, it. I could never afford one. I could only ever use the bread tags. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I was a kid, but it's Fair like. Enough. The copper coins stayed in the piggy bank in case my parents needed it, so they couldn't, you know, couldn't sneak one out. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> no, I think right, I've tried Zappa. it, but I didn't like it. That's uh, yeah. Okay, wasn't my thing. Well, Keith Urban's got the sign- his signature picks, and you know how he digs in with the side. I feel like I mentioned Keith Urban a lot, but um, he uses the Great side player. of his pick as the attack, like he. Chops at the string. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he recently released a um, a signature pick that's almost like serrated on one oh, side oh, and then smooth on the other, like beveled. So then you can get the two different attacks if you so wish. Well, that- so I guess Brian May was using the same thing with the the like it's not serrated edge on a coin, but yeah, it's kind of like yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. little yeah. lines around thing. it. Yeah, yeah. That, that reminds me of when I worked at a music shop. The, the pick that was like three picks the in shark one. Fin? And it it's meant to make you sound like a, you're playing a 12-string without playing a 12-string. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. A Did fan. it work? Did it work, Gimbal? No. <laughs> no, okay. What about the shark fin one with the – remember the old shark fin yeah. picks? Yeah. What yeah, did they yeah. make you sound like? Shark. Sharks? Shark. <laughs> you could be with laser beams. That's how they record baby shark. Baby shark show. All right. <laughs> All right, moving on. My, my first player I chose. Now, I've got to be careful how I say this, and I think we've mentioned this guy. I'm not a massive fan of the material always. 
Um, sometimes not even the playing. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. <laughs> I sound like such a jerk. This guy, massive respect. He's sold a schooling records and he's influenced a lot of players. Um, Carlos Santana, I think really iconic tone. Again, one of those fairly recognisable players. A couple of yeah. notes in, you pretty much know it's him, which is incredible when you think of all the... All the noise, all the racket that's been created over the last seven years of rock and roll and electrical guitars. Um, yeah, Carlos, man. Um, that upper mid spike thing. Massive boogies. Yeah. And doubles. And, and, and doubles and, and both. I think I've mentioned before, one of my favorite interviews with him, he had the Mesa Boogie forever, right? And then he mm. thinks, I want to check out a Dumble. So he gets a Dumble, the Mesa Boogie stops working. And because he's, you know, he's a dude. He's, he's got a certain thing going on. He starts talking to his mess of boogie. He's like, uh, he's, he's like, come on, man, we've got to work together. Okay, we've got to work together. We're a team now. I forgot so to do these... that with my my van that's approaching seven hundred thousand okay. kilometers. I Are talk to serious? it every day. Seven hundred. You got this, man. You got this. We're doing oh, it together. My gosh, that's I, awesome. I, I forgot what the story was, but there was something to do with Carlos Santana and why some Mesa Boogie amps say Mesa Engineering on it and some say Boogie on it. Really? There was something really? to do with Carlos Santana. Wow. Ooh, you talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to look this up quickly. Okay, yeah, cool. I hear that. So, tracks I chose um, were She's Not There, which came out in 77. That was a cover of the Zombies hit of the 60s. And um, yeah. By the way, with all these records, I've set up a permanent um, guitar speak podcast iconic playlist. So bless you, Rob. I'm going to keep adding to it. I'm going to add songs from previous um, episodes, and then anyone who's listening, they can just it can be like a little accompaniment for. That's so cool. That's so cool. Thank you, Rob. That's awesome, man. So she's not there. He goes to town on that. Like he takes a big solo in the middle. And then I guess the big famous part's the big cadenza at the end. The do 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 do. That's it, Rob. That's it. <laughs> and uh some of the wild stuff in that, it, it reminds me a little bit of Let's Go Crazy. Or yeah. the other way around. It's kinda It has that, yeah, it has that going on. Yeah. So that's kinda cool. Kinda cool. I don't really like the song that much, but just the tone, you know. I've got to go, yeah, full credit. Carlos doing his thing. The other tune I, I chose was uh, Game of Love, which was the duet thing from the Shaman record, 2002. That was kind of like his second big sort of vocal guest album following yeah. Supernatural. That tune had Michelle Branch on it. I love that song. I think it's a great song. And um, Carlos, I think he dials it back a little bit, the crazy, um, <laughs> in terms of... <laughs> This super aggressive upper mid thing. It's like it's like chill out, Carlos, a little bit, and then he, he does his does his usual kind of thing. Anyway, they're they're my thoughts. So yeah, the boogie, the 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 dumble. Um originally the big Yamaha SG series. Yeah. Um then the the PRS very famously, of course. So he's going for these these big kind of tools to 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 craft these things. Uh Carlos. Carlos. Yeah, I, early on for me, I was a big Carlos Santana fan. Like mm-hmm. there was a Santana VHS at the local <laughs> VHS video shop well, you, 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 that I used to hire the weekly. Hire the weekly, and I'd whack it in there, and it had yep. like all live things uh-huh. and the Woodstock 
concert and there was a cup maybe live aid and a couple other things on it was a, a compilation thing it was a, and i loved it um there's a version of black magic woman where they just paste as ah. the years go through oh so yeah it starts out like when they first started playing it in the i'm guessing late late 60s oh yeah late 60s maybe 1970 and then it goes through the different iterations of the band and the changes and singers um, but I love the albums of Braxis, Inner Secrets, and Moonflower. Okay. And, yep. um, you know, I've got those either on CD and vinyl. And Neil Schoen was in the band for Inner Secrets. And, yeah. You know, there's been some really great members of that band. But then when those duet records came out, I, I was totally cured. I was <laughs> okay. like, I went, okay, I don't need to go any further than this. I thought it was a genius, like a stroke of genius. Oh, absolute genius. What I they think. did. Yes. And, yes. you know, um, when you watch the doco on Clive, Clive, come Oh, on. yeah, the promoter. No, the record producer. Oh, uh, Davis? Clive Davis. It was basically his idea, right? Okay, okay. And um, it's... It's pure genius, and um, but it just got overplayed, particularly smooth. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and he just, I think the thing that gets to me most is like every song says, I'm Carlos Santana, which is completely iconic and fits perfectly. Yes. So props to you for that. But it's like it doesn't have to go in every vocal gap, but it seemed to me that yeah. there was a lick in every vocal gap. Yeah. And the yep. beauty that I loved of Carlos, early Carlos, was very emotive. Yeah, he could play with friends, fired frenzy all day long, but it seemed more measured and soulful. And then when these albums came out, it was just like, make sure everyone knows it's him. And yeah, I, I think the producer could have made a, a better choice but the public voted and he sold millions of records yeah, and yeah. became even more iconic and more and more people knew who he was outside of Black Magic Woman. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, props props to the team and he's absolutely iconic. So, But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay in those early records. Yeah, no, good, good balance. Uh, discourse there. I like it. I like it, Rob. <laughs> Gabor. What, Carlos. I, quickly, I found I got? found the thing. So uh, 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 Randall Smith, uh, w- he wanted to. The he was modifying a lot of Fender amps, and yep. he wanted to make a hundred watt version of a Princeton one by twelve, but hundred watts. Um, and he was trying to find someone to, to play it and to promote it. And Carlos Santana walks into his shop. He had like a repair shop um, um, in. God knows where, in, uh, I guess in 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 LA somewhere, or I don't know where it was. Yeah, in, sure. in uh, Mill Valley, California. Uh, Carlos Santana walked in for whatever reason, and he was uh, uh, he said to him, "You should try out this amp that I've modded." And he was like, "Ah, no, nah, it's just a small Princeton." He goes, "No, no, no, there's more to it." So he played it, and uh, apparently a crowd gathered and stuff. And at the end, he said, "Man, that amp really boogies." That was Carlos uh-huh. Santana's quote. Uh, and he basically kind of labelled it the the boogie amp because uh, the the brand name was originally and is actually still technically Mesa Engineering. Okay. And boogie came from Carlos Santana saying that amp really boogies, and to this day every amp that has boogie written on it is a is in one way or another related derivative to the original 
uh, modded Princeton and part of the Mark series of amps. Okay. So all the Mark That's series my amps. Fillmore 50. My Fillmore 50 says boogie. Boogie in it. So nice. it's 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 boogie. it's a amp that the circuit is derivative of the original Princeton that was modified and made 100 watts. Uh, and it's yeah. So Carlos Santana made the the boogie name appear. So that's my that's little. That's an iconic. That's an iconic gear influencer story. That, that is actually a very iconic gear influencer story, isn't it? That 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 sounds like Pretty another podcast we should be doing. Yeah. Um, so that was in, in 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 the in the late sixties, apparently. By the looks okay. of it here. Yeah. Wow. Sweet. Uh, and the, the shop was called Prune Music. Great he name. Was running. Um, Great name. And yeah, to this day, Mark Sears amplifiers are generally fitted with the Boogie logo, connecting to all, or connecting all to that original Mark series lineage, which began in 1971 with the Mark One. There you go. Awesome. Very but yeah, cool. Talking about Carlos Santana, I'm sort of in the same. Um, uh, I'm going. I'm going to go along with what Rob said before. Basically, uh, uh, I mean, super iconic player. All the you know all the stuff. It kind of went a bit, yeah, when the whole um, smooth and everything else came. And he had all these other people come in and write songs, and he would just noodle over it, and sort yeah. of he took most of the credit for it. But uh, I mean, sure. it made a lot of money. It it went really really well for him, and uh, you can instantly hear it's him. It's that sort of neck pickup. Yeah, very smooth. And again, you can hear the dump, the Dumble thing fits right into that as well. That sort of mid-focused, yeah. um, you know, kind of sound. It's it's yeah. I'm I'm with Rob. <laughs> yeah, no, I get, I get all that for sure. Um, but I think we're in agreement on the on the tone. We are going to take a short break, then we'll come back with some of our listener suggestions, which are awesome, and three more guitar players between us. Woo-hoo! This episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, a comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott, ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and the McNally Smith College of Music. I was one of the beta testers for the course and can say as a music educator, I was really impressed by the logical sequence of learning. The course has also been endorsed by players such as Brett Garson and Greg Cup. For more details, check out the links in our show notes. All right, welcome back. We are talking iconic tones. Before we continue with our our suggestions and, and discussion, I'm going to uh, read some of our listener suggestions through the Instagrams, through the World Wide Webs, through the internets. Uh, Jamie Jams says, Eric Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh Sea wind strings. That's Chad. Hey, Chad. Says, I'm going to have to go with a favorite here and choose Jerry Garcia. Big, bright, and clean. So good. <laughs> Jerry. Uh, Mr. Glynn's pickups. Glynn says, Mal. Do you know who that is? No. He's talking Malcolm Young. Oh. <laughs> That's Malcolm Young. And I'll just say it now. Malcolm Young was one of my honorable mentions. Unbelievable. Like, yeah. we've, prob- we've probably all covered ACDC. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I always always do it with way too much gain because I'm not man enough to play it as clean as Malcolm does. Yeah, it's a lot cleaner than you think, isn't it? If, if you really way listen to cleaner. it, it's a lot cleaner than, than, than you think. And yet it's all about that filter-tron pickup yeah, like, because it's... It rules. It bites. Yeah. And all the holes in the guitar. 
in the holes. <laughs> They're tone holes. Tone holes. Spe- I, I thought it was tone speed chambers. holes, but yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. That's awesome. Uh, Ethan Sykes. Hey, Ethan. Says Brian May, who, who you called Rob. Uh, Joseph Taboa says Jimmy Herring. You guys know Jimmy Herring? He's cool. Jimmy Herring. The name rings Jimmy a bell. Herring. He's a big jam band scene dude. Aquarium okay. Rescue Unit. Awesome. Oh, Aquarium uh, Rescue Unit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, the, the, I, I've listened to a lot of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I know who you mean. Yeah. Um, my yeah, bass player was, again, really into into that band. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, the Guitar ga- Garden. Jimmy Cole. G'day. It says Ty Tabor. King's X. That's almost me. Mm. Yes. Uh, the Gig Life <laughs> Podcast. Stevie. Hey, Stevie. Um, just says Lukatha. Yeah. I'm, assume, I'm assuming Steve. But then he's one of those Not guys. He, he he played yeah. on so many different albums. <laughs> Can you always tell it's him? Pretty much. I think a lot of the time. Yeah. Okay, it's okay. I'm All right. Yeah. Paula Boardman. Hey, Paulie. She says Corey Wong. Definitely. Corey's got his vibe going on. Love yeah. that. Oh, this is good. Pretty recognizable. David Ross musical instruments says Ingve. Yeah. Pretty. Well, yeah. Pretty much, Ingve's got a tone. I'm, I'm, I'm. I can't listen to more than three minutes, but <laughs> well, to be probably fair, three minutes you hear enough notes to. <laughs> I've heard three billion notes, but how how good is his vibrato, man? Oh, he's crazy good. I reckon you just got to get an EQ and drop everything above like eight k. Just like drop it right down, yeah, and he's a bit more listenable then. Okay. It's okay. the tone is in his hair. That's what I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> He's got those bright calluses. Yeah. <laughs> Frank Corrigat says, oh, Frank Corrigat, I think that is. Hendrix, Band of Gypsies, specific oh, era. favourite Hendrix record. Yeah, love that. Yeah. That's a great era of Hendrix tone. I mean, they all are. There's something special. Yeah, we're with you. Uh, Johnny P. 2023 says, Richie Cotson, particularly during the Motherhead's family reunion era. Yeah. Cotson, I think had he switched, had he switched to fingerstyle by then, it was still, yeah, I think he had. Had he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm just trying to think, maybe it was during that tour. I'm trying to remember the story he was telling, but yeah, that Motherhead family reunion record is great. So yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. I um I saw Cotson um tour a few years ago with the yeah with me trio. Too. Yeah, that, see that show. Um, I, my next covers gig, I played it all with my fingers because I was so inspired. <laughs> it was horrendous. Oh, it's hard. <laughs> I do my solo gigs when it's really like kind of a quiet one. Yeah, and I just sit there and play with my fingers with the acoustic guitar, yeah. but I would not attempt it in a loud four-piece I, rock band. I, I, just, tr- I, try to, I try to do it every once in a while with the acoustic thing, so just to do something different. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. It just, I, I know. I always then, two bars in, I go, nah, let's go pick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, just keep the pick. I keep the pick tucked under my like, middle finger just in case. Yeah, pick is, but, always, yeah. Pick is always the pinky holds a pick. Yeah, right. Lou Welsh says, "My bloody Valentine, Valentine, bloody Valentine." Yeah, Valentine. yeah. Well, he's he's um, like what's Kevin Shields. Kevin Shields. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. He's that's he's thing. super iconic. Yeah, especially Fugabox. He's got that jazz master. Jazz master man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, Again, that's my bass cool. player got me into them. He he got me back in the days. Daniel Daniel Brown, if you're listening, Dan, 
you got me into a lot of music. Good on you, Dan. Dan Brown, love your books, man. Yeah. Great books. <laughs> that's why he doesn't play bass anymore. He's too rich and famous. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> why would you? He's living why off that you? Da Vinci Code money. Yeah. <laughs> Birdman. <laughs> Birdman Band says Jack Jones, Erwin Thom- Thomas official. These are the Instagram tags. So Jack Jones. Man. Jack is so good. That guy can play. I just, re- I just revisited that full house. Um, live Farnham CD oh, okay. not too long ago after yep, I went yep. to the cinema and saw the Farnham documentary. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it just brought me back and I wanted to hear that. And that All Your Sons and Daughters, Yeah, the live version of that, go find that. It's just Jack's on fire. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Jack's so good. Uh, Birdman Band also included Ian Thornley from Big Wreck Music. I think that's an Australian band. I'm going to check that out. Uh, Trev's a big fan of Big Wreck. Yeah? Yeah, I think they might be Canadian. I'm not sure. I think they are Canadian. Okay. Got to investigate. Big Wreck, Gabor, do you know them? No, sorry. Okay, Okay. we'll check it out. They don't play offsets. This is fun though. You, you, Maybe you, they you do actually, stuff. and I just uh, put my foot in it. But <laughs> okay, um, okay, go. Lee Lee Sim Guitars says Dimebag Daryl is my one. Also, because it kind of lacks of heaviness in the comments so far, which is very true. It is Dimebag, very true. and he's he yeah, very very um, recognizable sound he's had. Yeah, yeah. Dimebag Morello Hammett, like. You're looking at those iconic heavy guitar yeah. players, definitely in there. Yeah, yeah, it's super, super aggressive. Um, yeah, cool, good call. Uh, the Lost Cat five seven zero five says Brian May, another one for Brian May, and Brian Setzer. <clears throat> oh yeah, of oh, yeah. course, Brian Setzer. There's the a, Sets man. He's, he's, he's man. awesome. We spoke about him, Dwayne, Dwayne Eddy, and Eddie Cochran and stuff in there, but he's definitely got his own thing. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Leah, Leah M. H. Teal uh, says Brett Garson, John Farnham Band, mm-hmm. his own solo stuff. Unreal, unreal player. Fantastic. Uh, here's one I think, um, I think we'll agree on. David Raymond Martin says Stephen Seagal. <laughs> Pretty iconic. <laughs> you bet. Him and, him and Joe Jonas, like, they're iconic guitar tones. <laughs> <laughs> Steven Seagal because he got he got way into the blues didn't he kind of blues rock sort of thing he had his own had his own band doesn't he just For, have forgive a, me if I didn't take it seriously yeah, doesn't he have a massive <laughs> guitar collection too or something like that I think it? he does I think yeah. he does so there you go there you go interesting interesting um, PM which might be Pam says Bill Frizzell oh yeah he's great He's another one of those guys, though. He played on so many different albums and does so many different things that whether you necessarily hear it's him, but he's he's brilliant, Professor. Some of his, yeah. even just his solo stuff that he does on his own is amazing. Um, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. And last one, this um, guitar technician says he's replying to Chad Wynn talking about Jerry Garcia. He says, "Name a producer engineer who actually crafted the iconic tone." So I don't know if he's having a dig at Garcia or Chad's pick or if he's just saying, if he's just making the fact, the point that 
with with anyone, but with the Grateful Dead in particular, you know, there was a team helping them craft these tones. Of there course, there were. Yeah. Of I mean, Hendrix people too. People helping them develop the instruments. Guys like I Hendrix think that's too, like Eddie Kramer, you know, that was. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think he's having a dig. I think he's trying to maybe just start a conversation. He clicked reply um, yeah. to the comment instead of to yeah. the yeah. to the feed. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's like, do you credit um, uh, but, but come on, the Beatles producer Martin George Martin, George yeah, Martin. George Martin. Do you credit with do you credit him for the Revolution guitar sound? Which you know was fuzzy. Yeah. Uh, do you credit the Kinks producer for cutting the speaker cone to get that distorted sound in the Kinks tunes? And yeah, you know, like, well, who do you credit? In saying that, too, also actually, I mean, we'll be talking about him shortly. But uh, the Edge, I think, the whole using the two delays that was a lot of it was to do with Brian Eno and um, okay. Daniel Lanois, who who produced. Um, a lot of the early, um, or well, I think, was it Joshua Tree or um, from then on or something like that? They were the yeah. producers. And I think they were the ones that introduced him to having running two delays, you know, instead okay. of just, just the one, well, so, you... which gives that, that dotted eighth sound that, that he's so well known for. Yes. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's sort of maybe the producers, I guess, introduced that to him. I guess it's 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 a, but it's a two way street, isn't it? You have a producer who introduces something to the musician, or yes. you know, and then the, the creative side of the musician strikes and takes it to wherever they want to take it. Well, I think you could have a producer cross the sound of the band, like a Trevor Horn in the eighties, or um, you know, the Wall of Sound with in the sixties with um, mm. Spectre, yeah, Spectre, Phil, Spectre. Phil Spectre, yeah. And you know George Martin sound and all of that. Mm-hmm. Be interesting, uh, something to research to see if someone went, "Hey, try this amp." Try that. I know Bob Rock because we were just watching the Metallica um, using multiple amps. Beato, yeah. He talked about how Bob Rock introduced them to using multiple amps in the studio and blending that they hadn't done before because they'd only ever used either modded marshals or the messes that they were given or not given, got a two-for-one deal on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess if you've got a, if you've got a producer with a huge amp collection, mm, yeah. maybe that's why a lot of people are using Joe Bonamassa at the moment to produce their records. <laughs> they just want to <laughs> tap into that gear stock. <laughs> <laughs> that could yeah. be it. Can that I try out it. about thirty different fifty-nine list balls, please? <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe. What happens if I blend twenty of these tweed fenders together? Bottom so, goes. I'll tell you. It's on the last record. So, so can I, can we do a five-point-one <laughs> surround sound with uh, five different dumbbells? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, thanks for everyone who wrote comments. It is super interesting. And guitar technician, yes, you have opened another separate can of worms which i think is is very very cool all right three more uh three more artists i think we're up to you gabor me uh, oh second know. round yes 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 of course <laughs> round two so i picked uh, I've, I've, we've sort of already talked about him in the past but i couldn't really think of, of yeah. anyone else and i i mean how iconic is this dude so i'm talking about the edge we kind of mentioned him before as well yeah 
another one of those guys, as soon as he starts playing, as soon as you hear those delays, uh, uh, just about any song, even in in more current songs where maybe there's some effects happening in one bit, but then it goes to a part and it's always that arpeggiated sort of higher inversions of chords um, with the delay in one way or another. Uh, I mean, doesn't get much more iconic than that. The songs I picked that are sort of, um, I guess, standout ones uh, with some iconic sounds, uh, Where the Streets Have No Name, uh, With or Without You, and Even Better Than a Real Thing. Uh, lots of effects, lots of inter- interesting playing, lots of interesting sounds. Um, so, I mean, we've talked about him before in, in, in a previous episode, but but let's start with Rob, The Edge. Oh, man, I love him. Uh, I don't think I appreciated it early, like early on when I was just massive, but as I sort of mellowed and sort of seeked out, yeah, seeked out more substance over, um, you know, blazing guitar playing, I think he was almost, him and Gilmore were my first two sort of ports of call. Yeah. Um, I think... I'll just maybe just burn through my notes on those three songs. I think Streets of No Name, the thing that stands out for me is like Bono's ability to weave the melody in between such a busy guitar track. Mm. And the beauty of how it works is that the rhythm section is so simple. And that's not easy to do. Yeah. Uh, but it just drives along, gives Edge the platform to do his thing. And then Bono just works his way beautifully through that song. I mean, a lot of U2 songs, there's not even really snare in it at all. It's just all, he just hits the toms. It just keeps it so simple, mm. but it, it just works for the songs, yeah. Yeah, with or without you, I play that song in my solo set, like looping it and building uh-huh. the parts. And again, how Bono snakes in and out with his phrasing is just like, it's pure art. Um, and then when the edge, that, First arpeggio that kicks in that just punches you in the face and it's right up front. Yeah, yeah it's right up there with the vocal before they sort of drop it back in the mix a little bit. Yes, yeah. Um, and while I just closed my eyes while I was listening to it and trying to think of, you know, what what it conjures up, and I just as you listen to that song, I was thinking, you're in the car, you're driving up a hill, you know, and then when that when the woes kick in, you know, whoa, it's when you're just on the, you hit the crest and you're on the uh, way down. Yeah. And then like the little slow fade out vibey thing at the end is, yeah. you know, you're just back on the flat. And um, yeah, just because I guess I spend so much time in the car. Um, yeah, it just, it took me to that place. Um Beautiful song. I love playing it. The Evo. I, still love I mean, it's, it. everyone it's, digs it. It's no, especially in its day. I mean, now it's a different story. But in its day, nothing sounded like that. That was a, a yeah. for the whole song to just be that kind of just a haunting sort of Evo Evo sound, basically. Mm. Until right at the end, when that that again very typical edge. I mean, you can instantly a song as, as soon as that. Da, 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 da. I mean, it's, it's the edge instantly. And a tip for all soloists, don't ever try and play Ed Sheeran's Castle on the Hill after playing With or Without You. 
you inevitably get the chords mixed up. Um, uh, anyway, and even better in the real thing, I think, again, we've talked about this song on the Arctic yeah. Baby thing, but yeah. again, I think the rhythm section has to get props for creating the space for Edge's guitar parts. Yeah, I mean, generally with um, you too. That's just in, with all his song, all the songs. The the yeah. it, it's again a less is more approach that they have, and it, but it it works so well. If you really listen to the drums, they, there's they, there's so little going on in most of mm. your two songs, barely even and a snare. The, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and his right hand in the chorus part is so super tight. Like I love listening to mm. his attack. Like you can hear all the strings. And here he's the pick hitting it like it's just there's it's open like it just sounds beautiful like we can sometimes fall for these guitar parts that are so tight and so compressed that yeah. they take the human aspect out of it but they manage to keep that human aspect of his guitar playing in that track and i just love yeah again that that rhythm part in the chorus just yeah I love it. I love listening to it. I've rewound it a couple of times just to hear it again and again and again, yeah? Yeah. All right, Matt. And the slide solo that builds into that. Sorry, yeah. I just, I missed the the slide solo. It's just so lush and drippy. Um, And yeah, before it just continues in under that bridge. Yeah. Like to keep it still under there. Again, they do that a lot. He has a repeating motif that, kind of is right up there and then they just pull it back but it's still there in the background yeah, so yeah. really cool yeah all right Matt um yeah massive fan as well as yeah as we discussed for Aktung baby um where the streets have no name it's so so euphoric that intro the way it builds up and when it Finally explodes. And it goes from six eight to four four. I don't know if, how many people realize that, but it's the intro is in six eight. And then it really, yeah. Um, when no he, one... the, the guitar arpeggio bit, that's in six eight, and then it it morphs into four four when the band comes in. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. But that's that's awesome. Um, any live version of that is incredible, as well. Um, with or without you, yeah, all the parts that you guys have, have talked about. The outro guitar is so beautiful and it's so simple. Yeah. Yeah. It was like D, D sus two, D, D sus four, jing, 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 jing. But with the delay, it's this beautiful singing yeah. kind of part. I mean, the guys are genius, like in terms of parts, because as you guys have already said, like a lot of these songs are very simple um, and very tonal harmonically. You know, they're often sticking to the four chords in some kind of yeah, in, one, in some kind of way. You know, very one three. Uh, one, four, five, some six, some two. Even better than the real thing moves around a little bit more. Yeah. But um, but these 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 parts. I know we're talking tones, but but the parts, I guess, are, are so are so important to it. Yeah. So yeah, which is which comes back to the um, yeah, the delays, the different tones. Uh, his distortion tones too on um. Oh, which album? All that you can't leave behind. Like he's he's pulling out all sorts of great distortion stuff on there too, which is which we know uh, most of it is uh, comes from a line six, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the rack version of the line six distortion modeler. Mm, yeah, so you know, amazing. for people that that say early um, digital is no good, that was early digital. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think it sounds yeah. pretty good. <laughs> sounds pretty good. And like, it's almost a throwback um, to the gear influences as well. Like, yeah. Oh, edge, along with absolutely. Gilmore, has the edge, has anyone bought delay like to the fore and paved the way for bands oh. like Radiohead, Memory and Man. Muse, and The Killers, and countless others? Yes. And is like, here's a question without notice is how much of the Edge's influence has been on the the pedal craze, like delays and tap tempos mm. and modulating digital mm. delays, like Chase Bliss and all of those sort of things, mm. things he could switch with a dotted eighth note and still tap tempo. Yeah. And how, you know, how massive has his effect on the pedal world been? Oh, huge, yeah. huge. I mean, he's he's... He's one of those guys who probably has more effects than anyone else, just about, um, and likes to also always stay true to the effects he used originally. That's why he lugs so much stuff around because he, he and he sets them manually. Yeah, you know, yeah. pedals, yeah. you know, running them into one another, and yeah, you know, we're you know we're lucky we get those pedals, dual delay pedals, where you can set yes, you know, one on a dotted eighth and one on a quarter, and switch which way you want it to go into what. Yeah, and um, which I have just switched to a um, new Boss RE two hundred two Space Echo, oh. which ah, nice. you know you kind of locked into the tape repeat thing. Um, you can't switch between dotted eights and quarters, so I've been practicing actually tapping in dotted eights, which I'm not can't, over yet. You, can't you change the the, the tap? But you got to turn Division? it on and off to do it. You can only select oh. either quarter or eighth. Okay. Dotted eighth. So, um, yeah, that's been a learning curve. But oh my god, what? <laughs> thank you, thank you, boss. Like <laughs> I'm just going to say, I've, I'm in love with that pedal. Absolutely in love with it. Yeah, very but, cool. I mean, that's that's the edge, sort of. Um, um, in a nutshell, anyway. That's um, yeah. Just another one of those guys who just. Eh, he can pretty much, as soon as he turns the delay on, he can play any chord and you know it's him just about. Yep. Definitely, definitely. Very cool. All right, Rob, your next one. This is interesting. I'm digging All it. All right. So, yeah, this was I, – I wanted to dig a little deeper. As I said earlier, pick the obvious ones. But I think this guy has got an iconic sound based on a couple of little tricks. Mm-hmm. A couple of little gimmicks. One, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's two. But okay. yeah, definitely one comes way ahead. And I chose the man so nice, he's got the same name twice. <laughs> and it's not Duran Duran, it's Steve Stevens. Oh. Yes. Um, I was going to say Mitch he, Mitchell, but he's a drummer, isn't he? <laughs> Mitch Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, he stood out at a time when Eddie Van Halen ruled and didn't, he didn't come across as a copycat. Mm. Um, he also has a very distinct tubular, ne- tubular neck pickup sound, much in the same way that Satch does, like a very similar kind of neck. There's this round kind of metallic <clears throat> tubular sound to it. Um, gear were Marshall amps, played Hamer guitars for a long time before switching to Washburn. Then a lot of Gibsons and Gretches and now Nags, 
signature models, which will set you back around about six to seven thousand yeah. dollars. Very expensive guitars, and it's Friedman. Yeah. It's Friedman signature amp too. Friedman amps and Axe FX. So yeah. a lot of the Bradshaw rig was big for him back in the day, and he used a Rockman for all the clean sounds with um, Billy Idol, C two DS one Rats, and that signature sound we talked about, the Ray Gun. Yeah. Um, which was a Lexicon PCM41 uh, on the record, which was a short delay with the modulation turned right up and he had put a, a foot switch on it to engage it. But he said it wasn't easy because they had to set it, press record on the tape back then and hope that it synced up, that it was in the sound was in time. Right. So there was a lot of trial and error and punching in and out. Um, and then later on, he worked out he could get a toy ray gun, drill a hole through it, wire into this little circuit board a potentiometer where he could turn it up and down the oscillating of the ray gun sound. And that's how he took it out on the road. Wow, that's cool. Um, so the tracks I chose, um, I, ch- I chose three, but I'll just the third one will be an honorable mention. Um, obviously, Rebel Yell. Um, is the one um, because it's kind of the first thing we all heard Steve do and all his style and techniques are in that one song. His ability to make the guitar sound like a synth mm, um, yeah. because, you know, he there's a podcast that he did not too long ago. I forget what one, but it was a long time ago actually um, where he said he was in the studio and they, were, they didn't have a keyboard player. So he was – all those sounds in Rebel Yell he made by – turning the knobs down, using effects, um, the tone knob down on his guitar and playing all those things. Um, man, he's got such a tight pocket with his playing. And the thing that I hear original in him is the chromaticism in his playing. Um, he does a lot of that. Um, and, of course, the ray gun. Um, thoughts on Rebel Yell, guys? Well, I, the thing I wrote down... <laughs> Because I watched a film clip and just one of my things. Uh, when tough guys wore one glove, <laughs> and and uh, and how highly flammable the stage would have been with because there was a lot of hair there. Uh, but I mean, it's such a cool solo. It's uh, you know, that's jokes aside. It's such a cool solo. It's a cool song yeah. and and cool yeah. solo. The clip is so cheesy, but it's that's. You know the the kind of fake for the day nineteen eighty three the fake live thing <laughs> mm. <laughs> and the spiky glove. I mean, anyway, but what a, what a cool solo! Yeah, and the sound that that ray gun sound it's just killer. Yeah, mm. to yeah, think that it, they genius. did that ma- manually, sort of with tape analog, that must have been a nightmare to do. Mm. Yeah, how cool though that became his thing, like straight away. But even, even on his, his 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 signature amp has a little ray gun on it. That's his thing now, isn't it? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. I've got one. I bought from his merch store, and it's signed to Rob from Steve Stevens, oh, cool. and I've used it on stage. <laughs> oh, that's great! It's like I can't wait to use it with the kill switch in the, oh, yeah. the on the hot fifty one fifty. So I'll be able to turn it on because it doesn't have an oscillator, and uh-huh. then I can create the oscillation with the kill switch. Oh, dude! So that'll be fun. Stay tuned, that folks. Rules. Stay tuned. Yeah, <laughs> just come and do a podcast where you do that for an hour. Like, <laughs> you know, there's people we'll do, do that. Who, who do there's like videos on YouTube of people like a, a fire burning in a fireplace, and they're just a 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could yeah. just oh, do yeah. videos with just a ray gun for... Ray gun guitar yeah. sounds. Love it. Okay, we're on to it. <laughs> we'll, book, we'll book the studio. Um, yeah, it's cool, man. Great solo rules. Really clever parts and, and hooks as well. Yeah. Yeah. Even the little, like, harmonic. They're, they're not full-blown harmonic squeals, um, but he uses them like a rhythmic little hook. It kind of just pokes these notes out a little bit. It's it's cool. It's cool. He's pulling a lot of sounds. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I love the synth thing. Uh, yeah. Um, the da 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 da. Yeah, in like the. I in guess the breakdowny the, thing. Yeah, bridge. So yeah. clever. Yeah, he's um, a dude. For the second song, I went very left field, um, but I think because it demonstrates the best of Steve Stevens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's off Vince Neil's solo record, Exposed, 1992, and the song's called Look In Her Eyes. Was it 1992? Um, 1992. Okay. Yeah. It sounds earlier than that. but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I but never I heard to pick that a song ever. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a deep cut. It's a record that didn't get much notoriety, but I wanted to pick a song off that record because I actually think it's criminally unrate, underrated and it's likely that not many people have heard it. Um, well, I'm one of them, yeah, so. <laughs> so, yeah, this is another song that just showcases all that Steve can do. He's pinched harmonics. The bends are very distinctly Steve Stevens. I'm sure it's where Steve, uh, where Zach Wilde may have got his thing from very early on. Okay. Um, but you'd have to ask he, the Reverend Zach Wilde. <laughs> Um, but the solo in this tune has, you know, that side pick attack that he's, you know, I think he's synonymous for. The fast horizontal legato arpeggios. Uh-huh. Um, so he does this thing where he's got this, he's got arpeggiated shapes like E minor shape, for instance, on the top three strings or bottom three. And he just slides them up and down playing the same thing, but with the slide. And it's like I've never heard anyone else do that. So um, <clears throat> fast pentatonic and chromatic blasts and, yes, the ray gun. Um, the solo starts at 2 minutes 40 and finishes at five minutes tw- uh, 4 minutes 25, which was adventurous in 1992. Yeah, that's really definitely not the, not the era of... Uh... <laughs> yes. That's not, not was not the era of Long guitar solo. solos. Um, so yeah, if you got any thoughts on that, that tune guys. On here, Gabor's thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that before ever. Um, but it was interesting. I would have, I would have thought it would have been earlier than 1992. I would have thought it would have been late night, late eighties or something like that. It was around that time. Karabi was in Motley Crue and they did that more grungy record. So Um, he wanted to stay true. And they wanted to grunge it grunge up. Grunge it up. Um, yeah, I mean, pick harmonics. That's sort of the main thing I wrote down. Lots of pick harmonics. That's the, that's, uh, and never heard it before, but, and long solo. <laughs> Very, yeah. So long. Yeah. That's, what, that's, that's what I've written down. That's, that and was it's my so note. good. <laughs> it's like you never get bored. Well, I didn't. No, no, no. It's 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 and it's it's all over the place. It's another one of those things where just it goes on for a while, but it's all interesting. It's all different. There's it doesn't really repeat. There's always no. new things, except for there's lots of pinch harmonics. But other than that, um, 
uh, yeah, it's it was it was interesting. It was like I said, never heard it before, and and not sure how much I'll listen to it in the future. But <laughs> but I've, I've been there now. I've done it, and I've no, it's, it's good. I, I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed. It. I never thought really of Steve Stevens sort of as a you know iconic dude, but yeah, I can I can definitely see where you're coming from. Yeah. But like we go back to radio, and he's all over it. White wedding, yeah, yeah. you know, like I mean, all of those. The, the whole uh, Billy Idol stuff, do, yeah. do, 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 do. Like it's not like it's just a regular guitar, like from a regular pop star. Yeah, like yeah. he does. He has a real signature. Yeah. So that's what I mean, I never thought of it, but now that you know, once you brought it up, I I, I do get it now. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Mm. The thing in looking your eyes too, which is kind of cool, is that. A lot of it's double tracked, which has got its own kind of sound. Yeah, kind of a maybe a Randy Rhodes kind of nod, but then he goes to the single track when he's hmm. a little freer. Although he's shredding on the double track stuff, that would take so long to to learn it twice. And he can get it, it right twice. on tape in in the analog days, not where yeah, you can't again, move stuff. Not, and yeah, hmm. yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah, I wrote it's got it all. It's like kitchen sink solo. <laughs> And and Ray Gun, it's like Ray, yes. Ray Gun. Yeah, I mean that's that's a cool thing. Yeah. yeah. What else are you gonna do? It's great, man. He's a, actually um, I had a student recently noodling around playing the Top Gun theme. Oh yeah. And I'm like, wow. Do you know Do you know where that's from? And they go, yes, from Top Gun. I go, cool. I go, do you know who the guitar player is? And they're like, no. So we'll go go find out. So the student was doing a little Steve Stevens deep dive. And he won a Grammy for that. Oh, I didn't what know that was that was Steve Stevens. I didn't I didn't yeah. know that either. Yeah. And wasn't it um, was it Harold Faltermeyer who who did he write it or the co producer or something who was Billy Idol's keyboard player at the time? Ah, yeah, well, it makes sense. and he also did Beverly Hills Cup. Yeah, there you go. Um, and I just wanted an honourable mention. Yes, um, Atomic Playboys, nineteen eighty nine, Steve's yeah. first project outside of Billy Idol. Yeah. And another throwback to that MTV special, Guitar God special that I've referenced for Clapton's 24 Nights and where I think I first saw Gary Moore's Oh Pretty Woman clip and Steve Vai's I Would Love To clip and Satriani's Big Bad Moon clip. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just another track that showcases all of the Stephen-isms. I've now termed it Stephen-isms. Stephen-isms. Yeah. The big fat sounding double stops and power chords, the picked arpeggios, and how he incorporates his flamenco finger style as well, because he did a solo record called Flamenco Agogo. Yeah. Ooh, which, okay. uh, if you're into that, you could check that out. And this one doesn't have a ray gun. It's a shame. That, is, that was no a ray shame. Gun. No. But, you know, he doesn't want to get pigeonholed. He That's doesn't want to have to be known as the ray gun guy. Um, I think Michael Jackson made him use it. In um, did he Dirty Diana? Is that Dirty what he Diana. Played he played on that, yeah, yep. which I was cool, he, cool track. Yeah. So he's like another one that has the Michael Jackson connection. Yeah. Oh. See, I didn't know that. Either. Steve Stevens. If you just thought he was Billy Idol's guitar player, go do a bit of a deep dive because yeah. the guy is like a genius. He's done some stuff. I had um Nilly Brosh on the show a while ago now, and she does some flamenco. Stuff. I said, how'd you get into Oh, Nylon. She has some cool Nylon stuff. Anyway, how'd you get into it? She said, Steve Stevens. Oh, okay. Yeah. I go, wow. Like, 
you don't think of him as an acoustic guitar influencer, but he is. Well, his solo spot with Billy Idol for years, well, decades, have yeah. been with a nylon string, does a flamenco thing in the yeah. middle of Billy's set. What a dude, man. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. He's I still, didn't know all that stuff. Still kicking it. Nice. Rob, do you want to mention your extra honorable mention guitar player just quickly? Yes. I think it's a so, good, one. good choice. I think, that, does it get more iconic than Slash? For relatively modern? I was going to say modern, but he's not that no, modern. Well, he's not that modern anymore, no. <laughs> Mid-80s, 86. Um, yeah, that's, that's modern for me. <laughs> again, another throwback to iconic, the iconic gear influences, because Gibson was dead in oh. the water before Slash turns up on yeah. MTV yeah. playing a Les Paul. That wasn't yes. actually a Les Paul. Single-handedly jettisons Gibson <laughs> back to the top. Totally. You know, with a thing that wasn't even a Gibson. Yeah. Something that Gibson would probably sue Derrick for right now, but are copying it instead, mm. doing the anyway. I um, know. Yeah, I love my, Gibson, so I'm not. You know, I love Gibson. I play Gibsons. I just, yeah, yeah. But um, copy just, authentic, I, iconic, ironic. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's another episode. <laughs> that's another there's a t-shirt. Episode. <laughs> there's a t-shirt. So yeah, right slash there. like. There's nothing. There really isn't anything other than a wah. Between him and a Marshall, a Silver Jubilee um, or his signature model, which, you know, was a JCM. Hey, hey, what about all his slash signature pedals, man? <laughs> oh, like his Waz and his Octavias and... The, the Yellow uh, Chorus. Yellow Chorus. The Yellow, the yellow chorus. MXR Chorus that he had, yeah. Yeah. Knocking oh, on okay. Heaven's Door. Needs it for that. Yeah. Yeah. The Double Neck Gibsons, Les Pauls. Like, yeah. But Never he taps. has a... a Again, he just has a hat. Um, he just has a particular attack in the same yeah. way that Brian May. You know, like it's you the, can hear it when he hits a double stop. It's a similar hair. That's what. It oh, must be the tones in the hair. Could be. Yeah. That's why I look. Tone hair. That's why you're That's growing, why growing yours hair. back. Yeah. yeah. It's all that Good tone hair. hair now. Oh, it's going well. Wow. <laughs> it's annoying. I hate it. Now, Slash is great, man. Slash is great. Like I never liked Guns N' Roses. Didn't like the aesthetic, the 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 attitude. Thought they were trying too hard. Yeah. Then I found out they probably weren't trying too hard. They probably, they were living pretty rough, and they were tough guys. But um, Axel's voice yeah, is never, another one of those. I think I'm somewhat yeah. allergic to it. Yeah, but Slash, man, I always thought he was great. I always thought thought he brought something. Well, unique. I've just turned my baseball cap backwards for this. Day, slashes day off, how he always wears the backwards <laughs> oh, yeah, baseball that's cap. Cool. So, you know. See, nice see just today, I, we were filming some videos and actually we're doing the other podcast and we're playing some stuff and we flicked through uh, some of the, there was a, anyway, like a like a bunch of preset sounds on this one thing that we were using. And one of them had that sort of fizziness to it and we were playing it and both Alex and I looked at each other and went, that's a very slash sound, isn't it? It had that sort of typical oh. sort of fizzy Marshall Slash sound. So, you know, mm. there you go. Iconic. I wasn't even thinking about what that we're recording tonight, but, you yeah. know, we were doing this during the day and both, it's it was devoted. it was one of those simultaneous Alex and I looked at each other and Slash. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. El Nico cool. 2 pickups, you know, like another one who played with Michael Jackson, Give In To Me, mm. and Always On The Run, which we'd covered. Yeah. Like, you yep. know that Slash. So yeah. good. So good. All right. 
good call. Good call for Slash. All right, so this leads us to our last uh, iconic tone guitarist. Uh, this is my one. I've talked about this guy before a little bit too on, um, I think it was iconic live albums. And this is Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits. I know on that episode I talked I talked about him being having two kind of well not two eras but two two tones so obviously a very clean strat thing and then when he got into Les Pauls in um, in the eighties but Tunnel of Love I'll I'll start first that comes out in seventy seven think about what's going on in the UK in seventy seven we've got like punk rock is going bonkers. Sex Pistols, yeah. Sex Pistols, yeah. Yeah, there's the um, the new wave of British heavy metal, so Iron Maiden, um, Priest, all that kind of stuff. Breaking the law, um, breaking the law. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's great, man. There's, there's all that stuff. And and here comes this dude, uh, was it ex-school teacher, um, playing a really clean strat in Sultans of Swing. Hmm. You know, and making this big hit and people going crazy for this outer phase kind of tone. So I, I thought of choosing Sultans of Swing, but I went with Tunnel of Love. It's still a very clean strat, but it's a little grittier than perhaps Sultans of Swing when he digs in. And, um, yeah, it's a cool tone, just very, very different to the status quo and really defined the sound of that band, really. And, you know, he's playing with his finger fingers. Finger style, I was just about that to say. That's, it's, it, you can really hear the finger style. He can really make some of that stuff pop, especially the Strat stuff. Yeah. yeah. He's um by this album, uh he's playing Schechter Strats, but they're still they're still Strats. Did he do the Valley Arts thing as well for a while? Did he was it or not? No, he did he did Pensasur. Oh Pensasur, that's yeah, sorry, that's what I meant. Which kinda kinda was like super strat yeah. quilted maple. Yeah. Man, they got a couple they got a few of those in Malula Bar music, which are like in the Closed off okay. <laughs> cabinet, and they're so ridiculously expensive. Yeah, holy jeez, they're just, they're a bit too much to me. All that quilted maple and yeah, and the carved stuff. top on a Strat style yeah. body. Yeah, I mean it was definitely a thing that sort of guitar. I mean it is a thing too, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So Tunnel of Love. It's an eight-minute song as well, and it was another big hit. We've mentioned this a bit lately, like these really long songs that we seem to be sort of digging. There's lots of space. And nowadays, if anything's more than three minutes, it's like, yeah. <laughs> so is this one that you hear a radio edit and you get angry? Um, was there a radio edit? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. know. I don't know there has to be. Edit. No radio stations. DJ well, even, can't stay quiet that long. Well, even Carlos Santana gets the radio edit. You know, yeah. Smooth when you hear that on the radio, yeah. Anyway, but anyway, anyway. Rhapsody, um, they still play the whole thing. That's like at least eight minutes, yeah, isn't that's it? That's right, that's right. Well, certain rules, some for people, certain yeah, stairway to heaven. It all depends on the hand, people, I guess. <laughs> I reckon that's American what it's all about. Played. <laughs> can, I, can I ask for your, your comments, guys? We'll, we'll do it one tone at a time because they're both quite different. So, clean or strat, Mark Knopfler. Um, I really like the finger style and how he just. The raking of the strings. Yeah. Which, you know, I think I first really heard that with Stevie Ray Vaughan, but obviously he did it with a pick. So it's a very different thing, but no yeah. less effective. Um, um, with that out solo, you know that the amp has got to be super loud. Yeah. Like it's the only way to get that sound. And the, it's good because it doesn't sound 
super compressed either. Sounds yeah. really open. Um, and I love the little, we call them Easter eggs now, but at the end of Tunnel of Love, you can hear where Local Hero came from. Yeah, yeah. You right. know, you nice. hear that melody that obviously got de- developed later on. Mm. Um, yeah. And I'd never picked up on that before. That's so, very cool. Yeah. I'm once again the odd one out here, <laughs> as usual. I've never been... I mean, I, I, I appreciate what he did and what he does. And his. I, I do like... I think he's one of those guys, again, his timing is really, really good. He's mm. got great great sense of timing and, and the finger style stuff. It, it's, I've never been a huge fan of the clean strat thing. And of it, that's it's just not my sort of thing, but uh, it, yeah, I mean, you can definitely like like Rob was saying, you can hear the amp was screaming in that. You can definitely hear that, um, uh, and the control and stuff over it that he had because of that as well. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, it was never sort of my thing, but I, I de- can definitely see why people like what he does and where it comes from. And the finger style stuff, sure. I always that always sort of intrigued me. And I think we said that just before. Every once yeah. in a while, I get in the mood and go, oh, I should try something different. And then it literally within six <laughs> notes, I go, you know what? Nah, let's do the pick again. <laughs> you've got to play so loud. Like you, I think that's it's a volume thing that yeah. I found is yeah. you've got to turn yeah. up way louder when you play finger style. Yeah. And then yeah. you can play more dynamically. But then you've got the dynamics. Yeah, it's yeah. so true. But I think if you just go with your same rig, you all just of a sudden go, disappear, where, did, yeah. where did everything go? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. that's true. Yeah. It's a good point. And I'm using like 1.5s at the moment, uh-huh. like really heavy picks. So when you go from that and then try and play with your fingers. Yeah, I use, <laughs> yeah. I use very heavy picks too. So I guess that's the, yeah. 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 Well, it's kind of like the um, the John Mayer, the slow dancing thing. That's like that out of phase strat thing. Yeah. In fact, it's funny. I saw an interview with John Mayer. He's talking about the quintessential strat out of phase tone. I think, I think oh, he's going he's gonna to mention Knopfler. And he doesn't. He just he mentions himself. He, he mentions slow dancing <laughs> yes, as the quintessential out of phase. But it's like Wild Blue, which is off the latest record. Yes, yeah. That is so Mark Knopfler. It is, and he he huh? says that he, yeah. he he gives the credit, of course. Yeah, yeah. He knows it. So it's yeah. I I, I dig that. Time. I think it needs to be loud. It needs to be loud to yeah. for it to not be this plinky plinky yeah. tones. That's that's a really interesting thing. All right, other end of the spectrum. So. Brothers in Arms, that album comes out in 84. And previous to that, he'd only really played a distorted tone, maybe on one or two songs. So Industrial Disease in 82, I think, or that was on Love Over Gold. That had, it was almost like proto money for nothing tone, sort of a coctoir, okay. little bit gritty, interesting tone. But Brothers in Arms album, yeah, he starts getting to Les Pauls, plugging him into Marshalls. And um, Money for Nothing is the big hit, the Cocteau thing. Um, but Brothers in Arms, I love the, the title track. So he's playing, he's experimenting with out of phase tones with the two pickups, <clears throat> sort of doing the Peter Green thing. Um, I might have mentioned this song on the live album, on the live album's podcast. So mm. apologies if I'm saying the same yeah. thing twice. But yeah, again, I think. When we talk tones, a lot of time we tonight we've been talking about the playing and the note choice and all that stuff as well and the phrasing, which I think it's all part of it, isn't it? That's it's all part yeah. of it, yeah, totally. So yeah, I love that on on this tune and 
there is a lot of dynamic range. He he does dig in and he does back off really gently. And so it's very pretty, very very pretty sound. It's such a sweet, mm. pretty sound. Yeah. No, I, I, I again, like I said, I'm not a huge fan, and I don't know any of the sort of back history with him not using yeah. distortion sounds before and stuff. But yeah, it's 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 a it's beautiful all the way through. His playing is beautiful, and and um. Again, you can really hear that finger style with dynamics, with bringing things, making mm. it really quiet and really intimate, but then certain notes bringing him out a bit more. It's just, yeah, I, I, all I wrote down was just very pretty. That's sort of my mm-hmm. um, my, my take on it. Sure. Yeah, Rob? Um, man, I really, with a song that long, I really was... I hadn't listened to it in so long because, again, I'm not a huge Dire Straits fan. I don't know fan. if I've ever listened to it all the, way, the song all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm super appreciative and I love his set at Nebworth back in 1990. Um, yeah. It's a great set there. And, mm. um, and they were always around. Again, back to radio, you couldn't escape Dire Straits. And, yeah. Uh, but I really wanted maybe two minutes from the end of that song, the drums to kick it, like kick it up, you know, and then him to let loose a bit more. Yeah, um, yeah. But it never really happens. Yeah. yeah. But listening, I was just really struck by the similarities of three guitar players out of England in Knopfler, Jeff Beck, and Chris Rea, um, uh-huh. or Rea, no, depending on how yeah, you want to say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But th- those three guys have very similar tones, very similar like finger style, strats, mm. like driven, um, whammy bar techniques. You know, I was just listening to Let's Dance by Chris Rea today. Yeah, going, that's correct. You know, how similar that is to Money for Nothing. And yeah, and the, that similarities to Jeff Beck in that, I never um, thought of that. Yeah, but yeah, in that genre as well. And Brothers in Arms really screamed Jeff Beck to me, mm-hmm. like because we've ended as lovers and that kind of era of Jeff Beck. Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, I just love that there's three guitar players in that kind of wheelhouse, mm. and that there's so much diversity amongst those three, but similar playing styles. Um, I. I love that track. I cranked it up, you know, so it felt like the guitars were in the room because they're really beautifully recorded. Mm, mm. You can hear the nuance in um, in the single note stuff that he does and it's, yeah, it's beautiful. Again, it's not, thanks for bringing it back because um, it's not something I really listen to all that often. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Mm. Yeah, cool. I mean, that's the fun of a lot of this, isn't it? We're, we're listening to stuff yeah. that our friends have, that our, couple of podcast buddies have suggested and yeah. we get to share it with everyone at home, which is cool. Awesome. Well, I think we've covered a lot of stuff, man. Six six very different players all doing unique stuff, a couple of honourable mentions. Big thanks to everyone who posted some ideas on the, on the Insta page as well. There was some cool stuff and a couple of people uh, I know I need to check out a little bit more, so... Mm. That's always fun too. Gabor, when when you're not cranking the the Muffin Man track at your place, what are what are you doing? Where can where can people find you? Um, well, the the very few times when I'm not cranking it, um, 
Well, you can find me uh, either if you go to YouTube and you type in the super fun, awesome, happy time pedal show, uh, or mm-hmm. on Instagram or Facebook if you if you so will, uh, uh, or even uh, your podcast provider, then uh, sure. you'll find us either doing videos or podcasts under that name. Uh, or I think I mentioned it in the last podcast as well. If you go to Tall Guy with Glasses. On Instagram, yes, that's me. And then you can, if you're ever in the Noosa area, in uh, Queensland, Australia, near Brisbane, uh, you can come and check me out, uh, sitting on my own, usually in restaurants and stuff, playing some acoustic music and singing. Nice, <laughs> very cool. Links in the notes. And I'm trying, trying to. I kept, I kept talking because Rob <laughs> no. wasn't there. Rob disappeared. No, I was, I was stretching. I was actually. I should have prepared, but I was actually just trying because I had it here the other day. My Steve Stevens ray gun. Oh, I, thought, I, thought I should have hit it like that. as the sign off. But yeah, yeah. Um, but that's kind of why I bought the Space Echo. Um, yeah, but anyway, um, yes. Uh, you can just check out my website, <laughs> robroadsent.com, um, for all the all the gig guides and all, all the weird and wacky stuff and links to socials, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's great, man. Man, please take a photo of the um, ray gun when you find it and, and yeah. send it through uh, or post it or something. <laughs> Fellas, thank you so, so much. It's been so fun talking about all these great tracks and, and tones and things. Fantastic. Thank you to uh, everyone who sent uh, ideas in, as I already mentioned. Big thanks to Fretboard Biology, sponsors of the show, currently running a very special deal. Check out the links in the show notes. And uh, we'd like to close off with the words of Michael Schenker. Michael Schenker, man, the original, let's see, the original Cocktois guy. Maybe, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but definitely that's his... That's his thing. He did say, when I interviewed him for episode number 150, he said the JCM 800 was developed by Marshall to copy his tone. Oh, yes. He said they worked with him to do that. I I haven't heard that elsewhere, but that's what Schenker told me. So if Schenker says it, it's probably onto something. And another thing that Michael Schenker said to all of us was... Keep rocking. Keep on rocking. Keep on rocking. Indeed. That's it for me. Thank you, guys. Catch you all next time. Thanks, Gabor. See you, guys. Thanks. Woohoo! That was a long one.